everybody good morning thanks so much for joining me this is harriet kamak with down to earth it's the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter and today being tuesday may 19th 2020 i still can't believe i'm still saying may i, I may began like an eon ago it's been an eternity and it's still only the 19th day but the good news is that next monday will be memorial day which means we won't be on a podcast after Thursday, so we'll be off Friday and Monday. <laughs> right? Right, while most of us are grilling, and I know that's going to happen this Memorial Day. I know you'll all be out in the backyard grilling and chilling, and people will be floating over, and we'll all be floating from one house to the other. So just imagine social distancing. Yeah, grilling from a mile away, but come and get some food, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And it's all good. It's all good. We all need to expend some of that pent-up energy that we've been keeping as a result of being on lockdown for months since the middle of March. Most of us have been on lockdown, so it will be good to get out on Memorial Day. I know a lot of people are going to travel to the coast here in Michigan. The governor announced yesterday that she has reopened northern Michigan. Very telling because people are going to travel from southeastern Michigan to northern Michigan to go to the beach. The beaches are in northern Michigan. Not that there aren't beaches on the shores of western Michigan, but people tend, are more likely to travel to Traverse City and to regions in the northern peninsula, the northern part of the peninsula. And in so doing, we know people are going to take the virus there. <laughs> uh, the restaurants will open on Friday, so, but between now and then, they have to only run at 50% capacity. That's interesting. We'd like to see how that works, right? People are going to show up and people are going to want to go out in the bars and drink their troubles away and have a good time and forget about lockdown and so on. And it probably isn't going to go all good. We're going to have fun in the moment. But then when the moment passes in a few weeks, we're likely to see a return. I hope it doesn't happen, but it is impossible that it won't happen, right? So today on our show, I want to talk about something that has come across my desk and was brought to my attention by my erstwhile producer, Alexandra. And uh, I give her a shout out. She's in the background <laughs> giving me direction and so on. But she's done a terrific job and done a good job of always bringing the attention, bringing attention to some of these issues. Sometimes I'll be perusing the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or some other news center and come across something. But oftentimes the most impactful stories I have found are when she brings them to me. She's a millennial, so naturally their angle and take on stuff is just as interesting as mine. And when this story uh, came across, I couldn't help but touch it because it resonates with what we've been talking about consistently about the coronavirus and its rapid effects on communities of color, particularly African-Americans and low-income neighborhoods. And what got me about this was this report was actually based on what happened right in my own backyard in River Rouge, Michigan. We call it Downriver here in Southeast Michigan. We refer to communities in, in Southern Michigan as downriver communities because they're downstream from the Detroit River. And it's particularly of interest because this is an area that traditionally has been subject to significant levels of air pollution. There's a marathon, marathon gas, 
marathon refinery plant, oil refinery plant down there that has been problematic, that has caused significant injury to residents of that community of River Rouge, Michigan for some time now. In fact, a few years ago, I think it might have been in uh, January of 2019, I went down there to one evening and it was late in the evening too. It wasn't like early, you know, during the day, it was a Monday evening and I drove down there and as soon as I hit I-75, there's a portion of I-75, that as soon as I hit it, I said, what's that smell? I could smell something that was felt like my, my, my nostrils were burning. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, oh my God, it's coming from the plant. Imagine living. And I remember saying to my, I can't remember who was with me. And I said to them, imagine living here all the time and smelling this all the time, it cannot be good. So I did some more research and found out that that community historically has had issues, but they're a large industrial plant. And so they have very deep pockets to lobby, <coughs> excuse me, lawmakers and legislators and the city of Detroit so that they don't, they have not been tasked with uprooting and providing relocation to the residents of that community. Nobody should live within a five mile radius of that plant, of manufacturing plants and plants that emit chemical gases. Believe me, I was down there for maybe an hour and a half. I couldn't wait to get out of Dodge. Had nothing to do with the people or the company I was with. I was actually there uh, speaking about human trafficking, I think it was. And that's where I met uh, Congresswoman, uh, the Honorable Rashid, Rashid Talib. Rashida Talib. That's where I met her, and I could, and she said, "Yeah, the smell is here." She said she grew up in the area. She grew up not far from there in Dearborn, and that's what her family have been accustomed to. And they know people who have died from cancer of the lung because of that. And I said to myself, something has got to be done about that. So it's no surprise, therefore, that we find that across the country, in communities, in places, in low-income neighborhoods. And in places where communities of color reside, it doesn't matter what color you are, whether you are black or whether you are Hispanic or whether in one community in Texas, there were people from Laos. Laos is in Vietnam, not Lagos, Nigeria, but Vietnam, right? And a lot of folks who live in those communities who haven't migrated and become upwardly mobile to leave those communities have long-term uh, inflammatory lung diseases as a result of being exposed to chemical plants. Now, this is happening not just in River Rouge, Michigan, but it is happening in Houston and in San Francisco and in Louisiana. Wherever there are chemical plants and chemical emissions, there are issues going on. And so within the, the ambit of these environmental issues, here comes COVID-19. COVID-19 is a particular kind of virus that mutates when it inflicts a body. When it inflicts a human being, it mutates and finds the weakest part of that person's body to wreak havoc. COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on our systems. It's more like an environmental uh, biohazard than it is anything else. It's not a DNA kind of virus that you can treat with regular treatments that we've become accustomed to because it changes 
as it mutates how it happens on one person is not the same way is not the same symptoms that are displayed how it happens in one part of in one region it mutates in a different way and so what we find is that people already were subjected to inflammatory lung diseases as a result of living in areas and living in communities where uh, low-income neighborhoods particularly where there were chemical plants and here comes COVID here comes the coronavirus a specific kind of virus that already impacts your lungs it's like a powder keg that has gone off so I read this New York Times article and after reading it naturally I had to remark to myself that this is a form of environmental racism there are places in the country where industry and large industries with deep deep pockets who have access to people in political life and political spectrums and who have money enough to influence legislation so they can do literally whatever they want to do and get away with it and that is simply all they have been doing is doing what they want to do wreaking havoc on people's lives and not a soul in the world, not a care in the world. There's nothing to hold them accountable. There's no legislation. I don't care if it's a Democratic president or a Republican president. These things have been going on for decades and nothing has been done to change it. Look at us here in Michigan, right there in River Rouge, Michigan, that, that Marathon Refinery Plant has been there. That has spent at least four administrations, more than four administrations. I'm just conservatively saying, right? And that plant has been there for some time. And that's not the only plant that's down there. There is, in fact, a sewage waste plant and two power plants, along with a refinery plant that are in River Rouge. There have been Democratic governors. There have been Republican governors. And none of them have significantly changed and uprooted or demanded that they control the emissions that come from their plant. Nothing has fundamentally changed. This is what I'm saying, folks, that if you pay attention to the politics that they want you to pay attention to the red politics and the blue politics, you and I are left behind. And if you don't have enough money to influence and to change fundamentally and to change the way that legislation is proposed, then we're nothing. We're just breathing air, whatever air they tell us to breathe, and you are like nothing. You just exist, and if they feel like it, they can do whatever they want with your life because your life is simply disposable. It is the truth. The truth may not, you. they may not like it. They're going to cover it over, and they're going to say something else. But at the end of the day, we live in Michigan, and in River Rouge, Michigan, there have been Democratic governors. There have been Republican governors, and nothing has fundamentally changed the large-scale uh, infected poisonous gases that come from the manufacturing plants in low-income neighborhoods. Nothing has changed that. This, my friends, is why you need to pay attention to local politics. This is why you need to look at the people who are being elected to city councils. That's where it starts. This is why you pay attention to who is the mayor, who is the person running for mayor, who is the guy or gal running for mayor. This is where you pay attention to who is the state senator, who is the state uh, re state house representative? Who is the U.S. senator? Who is the U.S. Uh, representative? Do you see what I'm saying? You need to, because all politics are local. And for so long, we have allowed ourselves to be muzzled by the facts that you can't change anything. 
But I tell you that your vote does change. One vote can make a difference. If you don't believe me, look at the 2016 elections. President Trump won Michigan by 10,000 votes in Detroit. That's 10,000 people who voted for him. That means the other four, 500,000 people who didn't vote, their votes didn't count. It's that simple. If you voted, your vote counted. If you didn't, well, shut up. Do you see what I'm saying? And we continue to sit back and allow people of influence to control us and to not do anything about it. And you might be saying, well, Harriet, what can we do? You make enough noise till they start doing something. It's not that the folks in River Rouge, Michigan have not said enough. They got tired of talking because they got sicker and sicker and sicker. And the research shows that long-term exposure to chemicals and the in inhalation of chemical gases will lead to chronic inflammatory lung disease. That's a fact of life. That is indisputable. That is irrevocable. That is undisputed, undefeated facts. It is what it is. And so as we look around the country, it is not a surprise, therefore, for us to understand where the coronavirus will, will strike or will spike. All you have to do is to look at low-income neighborhoods around the country. Wherever there are a group or whatever counties have plants and manufacturing plants, then it's going to happen. In one report I read, in Houston, the very place, some of these plants never close because they're in the business of manufacturing hospital gowns and masks and so on, right? and gloves. Well, in one community near Houston, Texas, where they are busy manufacturing these items, guess what? There's also an incinerator there. Those places emit serious gases and the residents of those communities are ill. And when they have to burn the waste that comes out of these, guess what? It is just as bad and just as damaging. I submit to you, that something must change. We've got to do something. We've got to change this, don't we? We've got to change this. We have got to get to the point where we understand that change must come and we cannot forget. It behooves us not to forget. Most of you think that when I'm done talking about this, I just move on to the next subject. No, I don't. In every conversation that I have with others, and most of whom are people of influence, I bring up these salient points for people to consider. It's not unusual for people to say, well, what do you think we should do? What can change that? Because I cannot forget. But for the grace of God, go I. Not when I read, you know, for years now, I've been talking about violence and the impact of violence on health then I had to try to understand why violence is more prevalent amongst low-income people. So I had to figure that out. I had to go do more research on that. Well, in doing that, I found out that, you know, something, there are some social factors that are referred to as the social determinants of health. And one of them is where you live. What is likely taking place in those neighborhoods? We find that places where pollution occurs, whether it's pollution from traffic, heavily trafficked areas, people who live near major highway and freeway systems. They tend to have long-term exposure to those fumes. So everybody, if you have a house somewhere, go plant a tree. Trees provide oxygen. We tend to have more of these uh, lung issues. We call it the flu season because during winter, 
we don't have the trees don't have leaves on them so when the leaves fall off the trees naturally there's not enough oxygen so we can't breathe we take uh shallower breaths but during summer we breathe deeper because there are enough trees the trees have leaves and when the trees have leaves there is enough oxygen so the same oxygenation process is also absorbing the fumes from motor vehicles this is why sometimes i don't mind when it snows because when all the dirty fumes go up the snow comes down and purifies the air i really don't mind it sometimes when it rains because it's washing away all the toxins that are in the air but what about in areas where there is more pollution simply because of the volume of of industrial activity that takes place the volume of economic activity we got to understand that people are motivated by money large corporations are moved by their bottom line they crunch numbers all day i mean if something just goes off for a nanosecond for 1 millionth of a second it is calculated how much money they have lost in 15 seconds if a plant breaks down or if a carburetor a thing breaks down they they just make money they just think of money and because of that concentration on money naturally money over people profits over people every time all the time there are people who simply do not care they don't care I read a report that Dr. Abdul El Sayed, he was a candidate for governor for the Democratic Party in Michigan last season, last election cycle. He's an also an epidemiologist and was a director of the Detroit Health Department. And he said that it is uh we need to pay attention to the issues of inflammatory lung disease that come out of low-income neighborhoods. And I'm like Now, what are you going to do about it, doc? And I imagine that he has had uh an intimate knowledge of this simply by uh his ethnicity and the fact where that he probably knows of this. It, it he's an epidemiologist, he studies the stuff. So he knows about it. He probably has treated patients with that. Do you see what I'm saying? But we've got to start looking and I'm not saying there shouldn't be industry. there has to be industry but i think we need tighter controls emission controls and we need they need to do things like if you're going to be in this neighborhood then we you need to relocate the people who live there pay them to move them out what happened to that i grew up in jamaica and uh when the bauxite plants were coming to jamaica bauxite is the process by which they extract dirt out of the earth and they convert that dirt through a manufacturing process to make it alumina alumina becomes a white powder that then becomes aluminum that makes aeroplanes and some parts of motor vehicles right so it's a it's a you would call it a natural resource and it's an important and essential resource right they don't use much aluminum anymore they use plastics but the fact that they used to mine these plants exists I can tell you stories about how there was an area where they stored all the chemical waste and the fumes used to rise they poured all the waste into a into a man-made lake and it went into the water table and then people around started getting sick with cancers so the people determined that it was the stuff that was going in the man-made lake that caused that they didn't just sue the companies they just showed up and demanded compensation
Eventually, the government of Jamaica held them accountable and they had to return the resources to the community. They had to provide health care for the people. I kid you not. They did it quietly, without fanfare, without calling a press conference. They did it, but they had to provide resources back to the communities they served. Eventually, when the demand for aluminum ceased, naturally the mining for alumina ceased, but the, wor the, 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 the work had already been done. And so when it had been done, they still were required to ensure that they provided for the people in a long-term way. So they had to do stuff like build better roads, build infrastructure, because they tore down. They literally would send in big D8 machines, you know, those big excavators to dig out holes in the earth to get that mineral out, so vital it was. It's the same thing that is happening in communities in Louisiana and Texas and in Michigan and in parts of California. It's the same thing. You, they want the minerals from the earth. They want the chemicals to make industry because every mask, every hospital gown sold makes more money for the CEOs and the owners of those companies and the shareholders. And money is the bottom line because heck yeah, we got to get to France and live on our yachts and we got to tour the world in our yachts and we have to live big pimping lifestyles. So heck yes, I don't care about the little people to heck with them. It's all about me. And then the politicians get involved and it's all about them. It's like I'm here for the money and they pay me only $168,000 a year, but I'm not coming out of this broke. But I may remember that my children are going to go to college for the next 12 generations. And there will be money in my pot, in an account, in the Cayman Islands. So if they ever vote me out of office, I will never be broke. It's all about the money. No one cares. But those of us who remain, those of us who truly care, we are the ones who have relatives who live in these areas. In, in, in a part of the story, one of the persons who was interviewed already had long-term effects from living there from what she grew up there, then moved back there 20 years ago. She already had long-term effects. It is no wonder then that she got the coronavirus. In getting the coronavirus, she found that afterwards she could only walk 20 steps in either direction. She survived. She was one of the lucky ones because she ended up on a ventilator because her lungs stopped working. Well, guess what happens with the coronavirus? Have you noticed that anyone who survives the virus, sometimes they die afterwards, but you've ever noticed that they develop long-term health complications? It just doesn't go away. When you hear people say, I survived the virus, I wanna say, careful, careful. You're still in a state. It's like recovering from pneumonia. You still have a window there of four to six weeks when you really probably shouldn't interface with anyone. With the coronavirus, we don't even know yet what the long-term, longer-term effects are going to be. All we know is that people are not re are recovered, but then they re are reinfected. Because we still don't know enough. But all the evidence so far is pointing to the fact that people who live in neighborhoods with already compromised health situations are most likely to be the ones to suffer from the coronavirus. It is not fair. Is it fair? No, heck no. Just because of economics? Some of these folks, they work in the same factories. So people like to say, well, they don't work. 
a fair day's wage for a fair day's job. And I'm like, wherever did you find that to be true? That's never true. I guess it's comparative or I guess it's uh, subjective. Because what you call a fair day's wage might not be fair for me. Or what might be fair for me might not be fair for you. Last night I was on the internet and I saw, uh, you know, uh, the Detroit Lions. You've heard of them? Yeah, they're kind of like an NFL football team around here. And whilst many Michiganders love their Detroit Lions, the Lions don't love us. They have never won a championship in more than 30 years. At least never. Not since they were first founded. The quarterback of the Detroit Lions, this quarterback, probably has been one of the longest serving quarterbacks. I think Matthew Stafford has been the quarterback of the Lions since I've lived in Detroit. No, probably about 10, 12 years. It just seems longer. Well, he's put his house, his Michigan house up for sale. And when I read the story, I said to myself, that's a precursor to a man making a move. A man knows he's about to make a move. And as a smart money maker, he doesn't want to be caught with his pants down. The house is more attractive if, if people visit the house while people are living in it. So he put the house up for sale. But his wife says the reason they put the house up for sale is because they have, uh, they, she's expecting their fourth child. She will have four children running around. The house has an infinity pool. It's the largest infinity pool in the state. And it's on a lake. So she says there's just too much water for young children running around. Which we all kind of said, okay, reasonable, reasonable. Except for the fact that they recently bought a house in Atlanta that's bigger than the house they have in Michigan that has a bigger outdoor pool with no boundaries around it so that tells you that the mistake she's making the, st the story she's telling you doesn't add up what am I saying the point I'm making is is that people who have more money they don't have to ever worry about inflammatory lung disease not because they were born rich but because they made their money so we're not all in the same boat together. We're in some kind of boat, the boat of coronavirus, but we're not in the same boat. So the point I'm making is, though people with more money, they tend to have access and influence to legislators to say, this can't happen. Which means that some of you NFL players and basketball players, you have access like Matthew Stafford does. You have access to call on legislators to say in River Rouge, Michigan, or in communities in Houston and in San Francisco and in Louisiana and in Mississippi, we need, and West Virginia, we need to stop putting chemical plants where people live. Uproot the people. The point I'm making about Stafford is that he can uproot at any time because he's autonomous. He has that because he played football, got well paid for it, right? That's a fair day's wage for him, right? He well paid, so he got well paid, and he's moving his family to the best that he can. The people who live and work, so when people tell you that, well, you don't work hard, these people who live in these neighborhoods are hardworking people. They work at the local grocery store, they work at the local food service delivery place, they work at the local pharmacy, they work at the local hardware store. These are people who even work in the same factories. You really think that people who work in auto plants are not imbibing fumes from the stuff they're working on? You really think that there are not health complications down the line? In one study I read some years ago that people who retire from automakers, some t within five years, most of them die from something. It's just a report that is kept under wraps because nobody wants to be sued. 
there comes a price with industry. When the Industrial Revolution started over 300 years ago, they were using a lot of coal to make energy. And it was so bad that the soot that came out of chimneys was in people's lungs, it was on the clothes, it was everywhere. So the wealthy people moved further and further away from where the plants were and where these industry was taking place. We haven't changed much, have we? We still do the same thing. We still duck and run when we see these things pointing at us. I want to read some stuff to you so we can all understand. Chemical plants and oil refineries are disproportionately placed in low-income communities. Low-income communities typically have more people of color because of systemic racism. Where there are high levels of pollution, research has shown that where there are high levels of pollution, there are equally high levels of inflammatory lung disease. And guess what? Here comes the coronavirus just adding to that. Long-term exposure to pollution, to high levels of bad of air pollution, equals lifetime health issues. Are you, are you hearing me, folks? Long-term exposure to air pollution leads to a lifetime of health issues. There are two conditions tied to air pollution. You ready for this? This is, is going to resonate with you and it's going to make you think. There are two conditions tied to air pollution. There are lung disease and this one took me out. Coronary heart disease. That one just took me away. Because I'm thinking how unfair it is for all of us. How unfair it is that you're poor. You live in a poor neighborhood. You can't get out of it. And this is what takes you out? People who are exposed, therefore, to lung disease and coronary heart disease face what? A higher risk for severe COVID-19. I hope you heard that. Harvard research has shown that coronavirus patients in areas with historically Heavy air pollution are more likely to die, period. You heard that correctly. The research from Harvard University shows that coronavirus patients in areas with historically heavy air pollution are more likely to die. Oh, God. That's all I can say. God help us. Literally, God help us. River Rouge, Michigan has seen more COVID-19 deaths than any other, any other place outside of New York City.